I want to begin this morning before we launch into our text for study with verse 35. We're, we're beginning our studies with verse 37, but I want to start con- our concentration on verse 35, where Jesus said, be careful, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. What a clear and a very powerful and needed warning from the Lord. Be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. Sin is deceitful. And our hearts are deceitful. And this is not a case where two negatives end up making a positive. This is a deadly combination. Sin is deceitful and our hearts are deceitful. And what this means is that most people who have embraced darkness believe that they have light. Most people who have embraced darkness believe that they have light. You don't have to be a full-blooded, secular humanist rejecting God, embracing all the things of man to be deceived. God have mercy on me because you can be a gospel-preaching preacher in a Bible-loving church and be deceived. This warning from Jesus is so clear. You need it. We all need it. We need to examine our hearts. Every single one of us, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. Because inner darkness and outward religion can coexist in the same life and the same being very easily and very happily. It can all feel so right. It can feel so natural that inner darkness and outward religion exist in the same life. And so this warning, again, I'm going to say it again. Be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. While Jesus was still speaking, verse 37 begins, while He is still warning about the inner darkness, a Pharisee asked Him to dine with Him. That is what we call ironic. In the episode that immediately follows, a meal that Jesus shares with these religious leaders, Jesus exposes the inner darkness that he is warning about in verse 35. These men, these religious leaders of Israel, are are seen as the champions of light. But in fact, in truth, what they do not know is that they are conquered by darkness. Champions of light actually conquered by darkness. It says in verse 38, Well, let's read verse 37 and 38. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So Jesus went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. What Jesus doesn't do here, he doesn't do very deliberately. He is setting up all of these religious leaders because there is something that he needs to say. Now, Why is this Pharisee astonished and horrified that Jesus doesn't wash before dinner? It has nothing to do with personal hygiene. There are two things to note here. First of all, this washing has nothing to do with hygiene and everything to do with 
religious and, and ritual purity. It has to do with ritual, ceremonial purity. And second, God didn't require it. So the Pharisees astonished he doesn't wash before dinner. That's because of ritual purity that God didn't require. Can you imagine what the laws on the books would look like if the United States government legislated hand-washing? How tedious, how dry, how specific, how complicated those laws about hand-washing would be. They would really look, as far as being dry and tedious and complicated, they would look like the laws that the religious establishment in Israel laid down for hand-washing. Okay, There were laws about the first pouring of water and the second pouring of water, and you had to be careful that both pourings didn't start with the wrist and go down on the hand because that would not be effective. Only one could be above the wrist. And you had to be very careful too that you didn't use a clean hand to rub clean an unclean hand because that would be ineffective. And on and on it goes, etc., etc., ad nauseum. Very complicated and dry. And it's it would be like, okay, those of you, there's a... a few in here who just graduated from high school and some of you just finished up college for the year. It's like uh, getting through that that very dry um, textbook, those few paragraphs that you've had to read and you're thinking, man, I really need to read that again. But there are a million things that I'd rather do than read that. Or it would be like going through complicated tax law and thinking, I really should read this again, but I really don't want to. It's the same thing with all the laws that the Pharisees and the scribes were guarding. And so you can understand why if Jesus doesn't even bother washing at all before dinner, I mean, he didn't even make a mistake in you know doing the exact step. He just doesn't wash, period. So you can understand a little bit then why this Pharisee would be astonished and horrified at what Jesus doesn't do. And Jesus pounces. You know what a tongue lashing is? What we read next, what Jesus says, this is a tongue lashing. Jesus reserves His most scathing judgments and indictments for the religious hypocrites of His generation. And that's what we get. Let us quickly set up the structure of this text before we continue on reading. What follows, first of all, as Jesus addresses the Pharisees, is four denunciations, four indictments. The last three of them each begin with the word woe, which indicates the judgment of God. When a scribe who is there on hand for all of this hears Jesus' indictment of the Pharisees, he takes exception to it. And Jesus takes that as an opportunity to pounce on them as well. The lawyers, the religious law experts of the day. He pounces on them. And what follows is three more woes. So what we're going to do is we're going to cover each of these rather briefly. And as we go, we're going to take notes on hypocrisy. And you might literally want to take notes as we 
ask ourselves some diagnostic questions. As we ask questions of our own hearts to examine ourselves. Um, but we're going to take some notes on hypocrisy and we're going to examine our hearts because we, each of us, must heed this warning. Be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. So it begins in verse 39. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Some time ago, I discovered in the foyer that someone had um, brought in one of our, our white styrofoam cups and um, had left it there in the foyer. I guess maybe they didn't want to risk spilling or maybe they were afraid of what other people would think of them having a drink in here. I don't know. But they left it in the foyer behind a, one of our display cases at the time and um, apparently forgotten it. And several years passed. I'm wild exaggeration. Uh, I think that it was coffee that was underneath the thick, fuzzy layer that was floating on top. Jesus says that's what the Pharisees are like. That in, outwardly they are pure, but inwardly they are vile. They are filthy, full, he says, of greed and wickedness. Again, everybody saw them as these champions of light, but in truth they had been conquered by darkness. Jesus says, God who made the outside also made the inside. Meaning, you don't just owe Him the consecration of your body, outward religious performance. You owe Him your heart, your soul, and your mind. It all belongs to Him. Also, Jesus is saying that the God who sees on the outside sees just as well the inside. Church family, nothing is hidden from God's sight. All the service that you give to Him in your place of employment, that you give to Him in the place of your employment, He sees. He sees the secrets behind all of your service. In your home, In the church, he sees all the secrets behind your service, whether those are good things or evil things. He sees your motives, your aims, your desires. God sees it all. Nothing can be hidden from the Lord. In Psalm 139, you know, the psalmist contemplates hiding from God and says, where will I go? Where can I hide from you? It doesn't matter whether I am in light or darkness because darkness is as light to the Lord. Not speaking of morally, but saying that it doesn't matter whether we're talking about outward religion or the inner recesses of your heart. Nothing escapes the knowledge of God. As it says in Hebrews, we are all naked and exposed to this God before whom we must give account. Nothing is hidden from God. Do you struggle 
with hypocrisy. I say that you do. Because we all, we all struggle with pride. God's foremost concern is your heart. And pride's foremost concern is appearance. And appearance is the hypocrite's greatest passion. Appearance is the hypocrite's greatest passion. And listen, we all have the seeds of hypocrisy within us. Uh, Don Carson gives uh, just a, a little example to cut, to level the indictment against everybody. What do you do, he says, when you see a picture of yourself, you know, a family picture or your picture in a group of friends? What is the first thing you do? Where do your eyes first go? You look for yourself, right? You want to see how you look. And it doesn't matter if everybody else looks like a goober. If you look good, you might as well frame it. You could say, hey, that's a good picture. And somebody else says, what are you talking about? You see what I look? Yeah, but I look good. So what does that matter? We all have that pride, that self-concern and the seeds of hypocrisy. I've told you this story before. Um, one year, a few years back, uh, when we were preparing for, for homecoming, I was outside under this back awning, uh, power washing. Uh, Jennifer Doss happened to be here cleaning the inside of the church. And so I'm out there power washing, you know, and all of a sudden, the long legs of a spider crawled slowly under the brim of my hat. Right there. Spiders don't bother me. But when when I saw that, the daddy long legs, long legs, right there in view, I, I threw off that hat like, I don't know, First thing I did, as soon as that hat was off, and I realized that I would live, I, the first thing I did was to look around to see if Jen saw. I was like, man, I hope she did not just see that. That's what we do. I mean, you could be walking through the woods all by yourself and trip over some roots and fall flat on your face, and the first thing you're going to do in the woods is hope nobody saw that because of that pride, the care for our own image and our own appearance. So you and I, we all struggle with hypocrisy. We all have the seeds of it within us. God's foremost concern is your heart. Pride's foremost concern is appearance. And appearance is the hypocrite's greatest passion. What do people think of me? What are they saying? What is their opinion? Let me ask before we move into verse 42, let me ask a few diagnostic questions. What does it do to you emotionally? What does it do to you on the inside to look bad on the outside? How does it affect you? Can you admit when you are wrong? Are you in the habit of apologizing? Can you apologize? Or must you defend yourself? Do you have to be right? Do you have to get in the last word and be right? And getting really underneath some layers, how hard do you work 
to make yourself look humble? How hard do you work to make yourself look humble? Jesus says in verse 42, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Hypocrites obsess over outward religion, over the forms of outward religion, and they neglect love. Can a hypocrite serve in secret? Yes, but they can't keep it a secret. It's going to come out. Can, well, I would also add to that, that not only can a hypocrite not keep their service a secret, but they also can't sustain the service. They can't sustain it. Because human nature goes that the people that you tell about what you have done aren't going to be as impressed the second time as they were the first time. Or, you know, even more, even less the third time than the first time. So, if nobody is noticing anymore, why am I even bothering doing this good thing? Nobody's thanking me. Nobody's helping me. Nobody's patting me on the back. Why do I even bother? How many times do I, we say to ourselves, why do I even bother? It's because of the hypocrisy within our hearts. Because of our concern for appearance and image and all of that. And so hypocrites burn out very, very fast. When you stop being thanked for a service that you are doing, does your energy for that service fizzle out? And I'm not talking about physical energy per se, although that might have something to do with it, but especially your heart's energy. The fourth time, the fifth time, the fiftieth time that you have done this thing, are you losing energy for it? Are you beginning to think nobody is noticing what I am doing? I think that we probably should employ this rule of thumb that it's not wrong to tell someone what you did. It's not wrong to tell the good that you have done to share how you have served. That's not wrong. But if you're tempted to tell them, then don't. It's not wrong to say, but if you're tempted to tell, then don't. We all know the feelings, right? I just can't keep it down. I just have, I mean, they should know, right? They should, they should know what I have done. That's how we think. So we're, you know, I'll just drop it into the conversation, say it warmly, not too loudly, keep my humble face on, you know, and, and we'll look good. That's our, that's how we think. If, if it looks like to you that, I know hypocrisy pretty well. It takes one to know one. That's where it comes from. Reading, studying, and my own personal experience and struggle with pride and the thoughts that are always in the subconscious there, it takes one to know one. I'm, all, I'm, I'm tempted to tell on myself just like you're tempted to tell on yourself because I don't want to be the only one patting me on the back. That's how it goes. That's how hypocrisy goes. That's how the temptation feels. So back to the rule of thumb, it's not wrong to share how you have served. In fact, it might be very helpful and good and instructive for somebody else. But if you're tempted to, if you're tempted to tell, then don't. 
Verse 43, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Again, hypocrisy is obsessed with appearance. And it's really, 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 and add a bunch more reallys onto that, dumb. Hypocrisy is so dumb. And again, I've learned this from my own experience, from my own heart, uh, how dumb it is. And I've tried to pass this on lately to, to people who are worried about their performance and nervous about doing this and that. Um, you know, the best judgments that are made about me are my judgments. And the worst judgments that are made about me are my judgments. Nobody else really cares, honestly. They're all too worried about how they look and how they sound and how they're performing to be worried about how you look and how you sound. That's the way it goes. The most impressed person is you and the most depressed person about your performance or your image is again you. That's what makes hypocrisy so dumb. Everyone else is too wrapped up in themselves to be head over heels for you or to be ashamed. Now, there is one exception to this. If my image reflects on you, then you're going to be concerned for my image. If my performance reflects on you, then your temptation will be to be very concerned about my performance. And you know who is most guilty when it comes to this? Parents. Parents are. Parents want their children to have the best seats in the synagogue. Parents want their children to be recognized as best in class. Why do parents go crazy over some poor behavior in public that they will just as easily dismiss in private? Because we are worried about how our children reflect on us. How their image reflects on us. Because we all within us have the seeds of hypocrisy. Verse 44. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. There are three things that we need to note about unmarked graves, and the first two are very obvious in common sense, and the second, third, I mean, has to do with the law, with the law of the Old Testament. First of all, about unmarked graves. Inside are the dead. No one knows, second, that the dead are there. And third, the dead defile the unsuspecting. The dead defile the unsuspecting. And that's the thing that has to do with the Old Testament law. Because according to the Old Testament law, a corpse was ceremonially unclean. It didn't have to do with what disease might be on the body or whatever. No matter what the condition, whether the person has just died or is three days dead or is three years dead, the corpse defiles. And that uncleanness is a contagion. It spreads. It defiles. And it's the same thing Jesus is saying with hypocrisy. Hypocrisy defiles. Hypocrisy spreads. Parents pass on hypocrisy to their children. Church members pass on hypocrisy to other church members. And no one is the wiser. No one suspects what is going on. 
Because everybody who embraces that darkness actually thinks that it's light. And we must know it. And we must be wary and we must be careful, as Jesus says. Be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. Let me ask a few more diagnostic questions before we move on to our next paragraph. Questions about love. When it is required that you lay yourself down, will there still be love? When it's really put to the test, will there still be love? And then getting a little bit deeper and more specific. When the needs of people are greater than their praises, when they need you more than they can or need you more than they will thank you, will there still be love? God who made the outside made the inside too. He searches your heart. He searches mine. God knows. Now verse 45, one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. This scribe is just as astonished at Jesus' lack of social decorum as the Pharisee is astonished at Jesus' lack of religious decorum. He's horrified at what Jesus has said. This is scandalous. But Jesus is not going to have any of it. He, he is on a roll. And so again, he pounces. And he said, woe to you lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Now the lawyers, again, as I said last week, these guys aren't um, you know, defending or prosecuting people in an official court of law, that kind of thing. They're not trial lawyers or whatever. These are the scribes of the day, and that's the name that we usually see them go by in the New Testament. They're the religious law experts. And what the scribes did was, in order to guard the integrity of the Old Testament law, you know, in order to keep things really tight, they added to all of God's commandments these extra rules. Uh, they fortified the boundaries of the law, and they thought that they were doing a good thing. They weren't doing a good thing. But even worse than what they did was that they taught the people that their rules were on par with the authority of Scripture. Same authority of equal relevance and necessity for your lives is what they passed on to the people. Their traditions they put on par with Scripture. And so they came up with all kinds of rules and we have an example of that when the Pharisee was astonished that Jesus didn't wash before dinner. That was the law of the scribes. All these classifications of how they needed to wash. You know, you've heard of the Sabbath day journey. Well, they said you can only walk so far on the Sabbath day. Don't you take a step more than what the law says. They came up with all of these things. What were their rules about? Appearance. Outward forms of religion. You know, things that you could judge by the eye. Things concerning what you taste and touch and hear and all of that. That's what their laws had to do with. Because at heart, that's what they were concerned with. Appearance. There's a lot of unwritten rules 
that get uh, verbalized quite often, I think, when it comes to appearance. Stuff that is often stressed in the home and in churches both. And I want to just give you a warning about stressing over appearance. Um, examples. You know, you may have rules against certain words, certain dress, kinds of hair and ink and piercings and drink. You might have rules about all of those things. And I don't think that it's unwise to have rules about those things. In fact, I think it is wise, but you better have biblical reasoning that addresses the heart. And you better have grace. Or, whether it's in the home or in the church, you will be guilty of hypocrisy, stressing the appearance of things and the surface things rather than the heart and the heart of the matter. So you can instruct on appearance without being hypocritical. But you can't harp on appearance without being hypocritical. I guarantee it. And you can't freak out over appearance without being hypocritical. Because if you're harping on it, you're concentrating on appearance and not on the heart. And so you better address the heart and you better have grace. You see, hypocrites have hearts, but they don't address hearts. And hypocrites have grace, but usually only for themselves. And so again, instructions on appearance for our children and in the, you know, the church setting, all of that is important. But it needs biblical reasoning that gets to the heart and it requires grace, or then we'll be guilty of hypocrisy. Verses 47 and all the way through 51. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. 48 continues, so you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, his story is in Second Chronicles, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. In that day, the scribes were known for building the tombs and the memorials for the prophets that had been killed in generations past. Why does Jesus indict the current generation for these past, long past deaths. I think it all comes down to the fact that they rejected the prophetic word. How did they do that? They added to the prophetic word. All of their rules and all of their traditions. And then, not only did they add their rules to it, but they neglected the prophetic word that concerned love and concerned justice. And so by rejecting the prophetic word, they rejected the prophets themselves and thus were guilty of the deaths of the prophets. And of course, it all comes to a climax when they reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what was the message of the prophets? 
It was love and it was justice and they all pointed, all the prophets pointed to Jesus Christ. And now here He is before the scribes. This very day, in that very room, they're dining together. There's the Messiah, Christ the Lord in front of them and they're conspiring against Him. They conspire His death. They scream for His crucifixion. And as He dies upon that cross, they mock Him. All clear evidence that they rejected the prophets before them who pointed to this Jesus, this Messiah. They were guilty. And we'll come back to this in a second. Uh, Let's continue in verse 52. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Like the Pharisees, the hypocrisy of the scribes proved deadly. Remember when Jesus said about the the Pharisees' hypocrisy that they were like unmarked graves? The unsuspecting were defiled by that hypocrisy. Same way with the scribes. And this hypocrisy proves deadly, again, not only for the scribes themselves, but for others. Because hypocrisy spreads. It's a contagion. When someone lives according to a moral code, a strong moral code, perhaps even the moral code of Scripture, when they live according to the moral code of the Bible even, and not according to Jesus, they are hypocrites. They will be hypocrites concerned with the outward form of religion and not concerned with the heart. Concerned with the law and not concerned with grace. And that hypocrisy will spread and it will defile and it will prove deadly. They will hinder people, hypocrites hinder people from coming to a knowledge of the truth. They preach and teach morality, but they do not preach and teach and live Jesus. So what happens Well, we get down to verses 53 and 54 at last. And let me say something before we read these last two verses. Again, appearance is the hypocrite's greatest passion. And therefore, what hypocrites are going to do is they're going to reject anybody who exposes the light they appear to have as darkness. They reject the truth and they reject truth-tellers. Although, let me also say this. If you're thinking, I really hope that so-and-so on the left side of the room is listening to this, then that's hypocritical. I really hope those people from Shudrin are paying attention today. All of that is hypocritical. So hypocrites are going to have one of two reactions. They are either going to be unfazed by the message. They're they're going to maybe have a surface glance of their hearts and they'll say, "Um, I'm a little guilty of that, but not too bad. And they'll dismiss that thing. Or they'll say, hey, that that indictment doesn't even pinpoint me at all. So I hope so-and-so is... They don't feel exposed. Or they do feel exposed and they reject the truth. If they're going to continue in their hypocrisy, they're going to reject the truth and the truth teller. So these Pharisees here and these scribes, Jesus has superbly, thoroughly exposed them. 
everybody knows. It's just one indictment after another. There's seven denunciations. And of course, seven is that, you know, a picture of completion. It is a complete condemnation of the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. So they're like, they're caught. They're caught. Their darkness is exposed. The light is shown to be a facade, a mask. And so what do they do? Verse 53, As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. They're thinking, you think that you're going to take us down? Well, if we go down, you're going down too. That's what hypocrites do. They cannot stand to look any worse than someone else. So if they're going down, others are going down with them. So these hypocrites have Jesus in their sights. And of course, we know as the narrative goes, this is going to lead to the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. One way or another, they're going to get Jesus. Let me close with a whole bunch of questions. Considering the fact that they hated the truth and truth tellers, are you correctable? Can other people correct you when you're wrong? Are you teachable? It, it, it is a such a relief to anyone who is called to, to shepherd people. Whether you're talking about someone in a pastor's position or a teacher's position or a parent's position. You know how it is, parents. When your child can take correction, when they can admit that they were wrong. How good is that? How encouraging is that? Are you correctable? Are you teachable? Are you even happy, Christian, to hear of your sin? Because it means you're going to get closer to Jesus. Can you even be happy to hear of your sin? Listen, I know how it is. I know how it is to feel guilty when you're listening to the preaching of the Word or the reading of it. And the Word's toes come down on your toes, so to speak, right? But it's good for us. Because all it means is not your condemnation. All it means is that you are getting closer to Jesus. So it's good to hear. I mean, as long as you receive it well, you're getting closer to Jesus. This is how I want to close. I don't have time to go back over every verse in detail. But follow with me. I'll read a portion of certain verses. And then I'm going to give a summary statement and ask a follow-up question or two. We'll do this very quickly. Verse 39, Jesus said, "You, you You cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish but inside you are full of greed. Hypocrites must look good. Hypocrites must look good. Do you have to keep up with the Joneses? Do you have to? Do you also, do you have to be right? That's all symptomatic of hypocrisy because hypocrites must look good. Verse 42, 
Pharisees, woe to you. You tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Hypocrisy majors on the minors and minors on souls. Hypocrisy majors on the minors and minors on souls. Are you nitpicky and hypercritical? Can you overlook other people's shortcomings or do you harp on them and do you judge them? Next, woe to you Pharisees for you love the best seats in the synagogues. Greetings in the marketplaces. Hypocrisy does not do if doing won't be seen. Do you serve God? And do you cry out to God in the secret place? Are your prayers longer in public than they are in private? Are they more earnest in public than they are in private? And do you compare your prayers to other people's prayers? Symptoms of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy deceives others. It says, woe to you for you're like unmarked graves. People walk over them without knowing it. Hypocrisy deceives people. Do you want people to know the real you? And is there anyone in your life who knows the real you that can hold you to account? Because hypocrisy deceives people. Hypocrisy, we know, adds unnecessary burdens. That's what Jesus said to the scribes in verse 46. You load people with burdens hard to bear. Hypocrisy adds unnecessary burdens. Are you hoping and praying and correcting and instructing the heart? Are you praying for true, deep, and spiritual growth? Or are you harping on appearance? Hypocrisy rejects truth-tellers like the scribes rejected the prophets, verse 47. Hypocrisy rejects truth-tellers. Again, how do you take correction? And here's a question. Have you ever invited correction into your life? Have you, you know, someone, a brother in the Lord, brothers, brothers in the Lord, sisters, sisters in the Lord, Have you ever invited correction into your life? Hypocrites hate correction. And perhaps a reason why we don't invite it is because of the seeds of hypocrisy. And finally, hypocrisy keeps others from the truth. Do you love souls? Do you cry out to God for souls? Do you mourn those who are lost? Hypocrisy keeps people from the truth. And finally, that's my seven things, but can you confess hypocrisy? Can you tell your brothers and sisters that you have it within you? Can you pray that God will search you and know your heart? Can you pray that God will test you and see if there be any wicked way in you? And can you pray that God will lead you in the way everlasting? Do you pray that way? Do you pray for your heart? Your heart, others' hearts. Do you pray for hearts? And do you pray for souls? And finally, last of all, can you run to Jesus the pure in heart? 
Can you run to the cross? Listen, I know why we fear people knowing us. Because we are afraid that they won't love us. If they know us, they'll stop loving. They will judge. They will criticize. I can't stand for someone to know the real me. Because I'm afraid of what will happen. But God knows you better than any knows you. Better than you know you, God knows you. And God loved you unto the death of His Son. That's freedom. It is freedom to be yourself. It is freedom from this concern about what you look like. It is freedom from having to keep up with other people's things or appearances or the stress that we have of their judgment. It's freeing. Because who matters compared to how God matters? Whose judgment matters compared to the judgment of God? And His judgment has fallen on Christ. So what I want to say to you last of all is drop the pride. And drop the pretense. And all of those worries we have about people's opinions. And be bound to one thing and one thing only. Be bound to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there is all your redemption. There is all your acceptance with the judge who matters. There is all your freedom. It is found in the cross of Christ. Let pride go and cling to the cross. And thank God for it. Father, we bow before You. We bow not only our heads, but we bow our hearts. And we pray not only with the words of our lips, but we cry out to You from the heart. God, save us from hypocrisy. Hypocrites are dead. Hypocrites are corpses. Spiritual corpses. Their praise, their religion means nothing. It's no better than if it was the dead. Lord, save us from that death. Save us from that pride that kills and destroys not only the proud soul, but other souls also. Save us from it. Father, I pray that everyone here, and no exceptions, everyone here would find their freedom and their acceptance, their salvation in the cross of Jesus Christ. God, I, if we need to be, if we need to feel the condemnation, the power of Christ's judgment here, then so be it. But bring us to the cross. Don't let us go. Draw us to you and keep us at the cross because in the cross is our life. We need you. We need your help. We pray for your salvation. Give us your mercy. We ask and we thank You for it. In Jesus' name, Amen.